you. Let's say this is the last time you and I speak for the next year. Now a year goes by and I see you at one of your speaking um, events, right? And you come up to me and you go, dude, I just had the most incredible year of my entire life. Like you wouldn't imagine. The question is, what does that look like for you? Mm. What is that? And, And what the next step in this is write it down. And when I say write it down, I mean take two, three, four hours and get super granular on what you want exactly your life to be. A lot of people suffer from, they just wake up in the morning, they have a general idea of what they want to do, but they're not really making decisions specific to this path. And what happens is really successful people and unsuccessful people arguably make the same amount of decisions every day. It's just, where are those decisions taking you? All right, ladies and gentlemen, if you are hearing this, you have once again to the Consequence of Habit podcast. That's a, that's a throwback intro. I haven't used that one in, in, in a long time. Uh, this is your host, JT, and we've got a we got an amazing episode for you this week. Uh, but before we get that going, I got a little housekeeping. First off, we have our first in-person event coming up, and that's going to be on March 23rd. That is a veteran-specific event breathwork event. We're going to be going off some of the Wim Hof method. We'll be teaching that. Uh, so it'll be some, some breathwork, some cold exposure. We're going to have some tubs of ice and we're going to breathe, baby. Uh, if you are a veteran, uh, a family member of a veteran, uh, you are in the Middletown, Delaware area. We would love to see you there. This is going to be at Petrum CrossFit. It's going to be on Main Street in Middletown, Delaware. Close enough for all you Dover Air Force people. You hear me? Newcastle County. We got some National Guard. I don't care where you're from. I mean, literally, you could be coming from Washington State as far as I'm concerned. And if you're a veteran or the family member of a veteran, we'd love to see you there. We're going to have that registration up. on the, but Actually, by the time this comes out, we should have that ready to go up on the website. And we'll be promoting that on our social media uh, as well. Now, that event... And every one of our veteran events does not happen without uh, the, the the support from from both the Patriot Fund, which is an unbelievable uh, nonprofit that, that tailors all of their efforts, raises a lot of funds to support the veteran community. Most of our veteran uh, events would not, well, yeah, I'd say all of them. Uh, w- probably wouldn't happen without these guys. So huge shout out to the Patriot Fund. If you want to support them, you want to see what they're doing, go on over to thepatriotfund.org and check them out. And next is is Athletic Brewing Company. I don't know what, how you guys feel about beer. I don't know how you feel about alcohol. Uh, but if you were like me and you decided you were going to make a positive change in your life, uh, alcohol was not serving you or maybe it just doesn't serve you today. Maybe you got something going on today. You don't need those booze, but you still want that good taste in beer. Not that crap N.A. beer. This is quality, quality craft brews. They just happen to be N.A. as well. And then check out Athletic Brewing. If it's the first time you're trying it, use the promo code COH20. You're going to get 20% off your first order. All right, that brings us to this week's guest. This week, I sat down with Gene Reed. 
Uh, and before I get into Gene's accomplishments and his titles, I, I want to say that he's kind of, he's changed what I thought we were capable of while working a full-time job and raising a family. And you're going to find out why here in a minute. Uh, Gene is a police officer. He went into the police department with his high school diploma. Someone expressed to him, you're going to hear it in the conversation, that how important education is. He's since gone on to get his bachelor's. He then got his master's and he's recently gotten his PhD. Now, he didn't stop being a police officer full-time. He's been raising a family, working full-time. Oh, he also trained up and did an Ironman triathlon. He's a jiu-jitsu practitioner. He's written a book on leadership. And he started a, a company called Reed Solutions. It's a self-development and coaching and training company. Now, I was fortunate enough to do this one face-to-face. Gene lives fairly close. Uh, he showed up at the studio And anytime I get that opportunity, not that it's a complete game changer, but it does change the dynamic of the conversation for the better. We're going to cover topics around emotional intelligence, habit forming, why we do the things that we do, how to get past that sticking point when we, when we start a new habit and then it starts to get hard, right? We all go into things with, with tons of motivation, but that will wane and we will fall back to. Uh, our operating system that we've used up to that point and how to get through that. I took a lot from this conversation. You know, these are one of those, I say this from time to time, but, but these are one of those conversations where whether this went out to the world or not, I am grateful that I had the, took the time and had this, this conversation with Gene. I hope you guys get as much from it as I did. Uh, Without further ado, please welcome to the podcast, Gene Reed. back to the podcast. I, this is, this is probably the fifth time that I've had the opportunity to do this in person. Uh, so anytime I get this opportunity, I, I, the conversations always seem to flow better. Uh, not, not to take anything away from the, the ones I've done, you know, virtually, but this is a long winded way of me saying, I'm excited to have you here. Uh, today I am sitting down with Gene Reed of, uh, Reed Solutions. You've had a long list, you know, like what you do, it's um, it's impressive. Thank you, police officer, author, uh, the the founder of Reed Solutions, performance coach. A lot to dive into. PhD, triathlete, jujitsu. Keep Good it going. God. <laughs> this guy's a renaissance man. That, it, it honestly, and, and I, uh, it is impressive. Uh, usually, when I when I start diving into somebody's backstory a little bit, uh it's done quicker than I am with yours. Yours is uh, the long list. So I want to start off with, I know a lot of police officers, right? And I don't know a lot of them that have continued on, right? And this isn't a take away from anyone it's, it, as, a, as a profession, but, but since becoming a police officer, where were you as far as education-wise when you started and where are you now? Yeah, that's a great way to start. So I... Did not have a bachelor's degree when I started. Um, I started on my bachelor's degree when I was in our detective unit. A terrible time to start. Yeah. But my mother always stressed to me, hey, you got to go get your education. Got to go get your, your education. Well, to go back a little bit, I was in college. Uh-huh. I was in college. And at the age of 18, 
I applied to be a police officer down at the shore in Wildwood, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Anybody who's looking to get involved in policing, I highly recommend that. It was some of the most fun times I ever had. Well, then I really got the bug, right? So then I was there for two years. I'm, I'm 19, 20 years old. I was like, this is what I want to do. I just want to do this thing. So I was my third year in college, and I just started applying to all these different state police organizations. Yeah. Well, Maryland State Police picked me up, and I was 20. And my mom was like, I really want you to finish your degree. And my dad was saying the same thing, too. But uh, me, because just being a, a silly young man, I was like, nope, I'm going to go do this thing. Yeah. So I go to Maryland State Police there for a couple of years. Fantastic organization. They're super squared away. Uh, I wound up leaving just because I met my, my now wife yeah. who lives in New Jersey. That's where we live now. She's a school teacher. And New Jersey has this weird thing where you can't live outside of the state if you're a teacher. Mm-hmm. So that was our first big compromise in our marriage. Um, got hired by Newcastle County Police and really went through those first few years still like not even thinking about education. And then really had a conversation with a current chief of police in New Jersey and a couple other guys. And they were like, dude, listen, uh, we think you're highly intelligent. You're not going to go anywhere unless you get your education. Yeah. You got a lot of potential. You're missing a big part of it. And I kind of waited. You know, I mean, I was 25, 26 years old before I really went back to school and started doing that. Uh, but that's when I started. And I never stopped. Once I started, I did the bachelor's degree, finished that up, went and got the master's in education. And then I had a couple of teachers reach out to me when I was in the master's program. And they're basically like, hey, man, you're, you're kind of talented this writing thing. You should consider going the PhD route. And I've always had that personality of, well, what's the highest level of the thing that we can do? Yeah. And they said it's a PhD. So I was like, okay, that's it. Going to go do that thing. And when, and when did you finish that up? About a year and a half ago. Okay. Yeah. About so a year and a half and, ago. and how old are you now? 34. 34. It's mm-hmm. a lot of school, a lot of dedication. Uh, and then we're adding all the other things. And, and that's what I want to get to. Uh, you and I met at the speaking engagement that we did. Which was and, phenomenal, by the oh, way. Oh, thank you very much. It really uh, was. Yeah. I, I, that means a lot. Is It was... As, I think, as you know, that was our first one. And, and um, yeah, a lot of work that goes into those things, a lot of, uh, of nights not sleeping. But uh, And I don't want to get you off your train of thought, but and I was kind of holding this to tell you till now, but the reason I started Read Solutions was because of that event. Shut up. I'm not, no, I'm being serious. Um, when your main speaker, yeah, when he was speaking, uh, Lavery, right? Nick Lavery, yep. Nick Lavery. Um, he basically said and put it out there like, Hey, what's your next year going to look like? What's this going to be? Yeah. And I always had this in the back of my mind and I'm being dead serious now. Like, and I was like, dude, this is the time. This like there's, it. there's a reason that I'm here. There's a reason that the universe aligned for somebody to tell me about this consequence of habit and come to this event. And that's what, that's what did it. That really put me over the edge. That's beautiful, man. I have been hanging in the background like, Oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. Seeing him on stage, being at that event, I'm telling you, that was my like, all right, now it's game time. Yeah. You got to do it. I, I, I tell people that because, I, well, I talk about Nick and I say, you know, they see him and on the surface level, he's just a, he's just a massive person, right? I didn't and, realize how giant of a oh, man he is. <laughs> it's incredible. He walked in and was like, I mean, I, I didn't know. I mean, I've talked to him, uh, you know, over, over video calls. He's been a guest on here. Uh, and he walked in. I was like, good God, man. But I said this afterwards, I don't care if you sold insurance, scooped ice cream at Dairy Queen, a fellow Green Beret, 
man, you there, you just walked away from that thing willing to do something, right, to make these positive changes. And uh, talking about proof in the pudding, man, here we are. Absolutely. Cool. Yeah. Awesome, man. I, well, that makes, that that really, honestly, that, that just made my day. Uh, I'm going to reach out to Nick after this and, and, and share this part. So when it comes to habits, to be able to do the things that you've done, you've developed an operating system that's clearly worked for you. And it's, it's something, I, I don't know if you consider this as, as like price of admission, because now you're sharing this with, with the world. Where did that system come from? Is it something that just kind of inherently came to you naturally? Or was it something you really had to hone over a period of time? So I can tell you exactly when it happened. My dad, when I was about 12 or 13 years old, I've only now started to put names to these things. Yeah. I've always been doing it. So my dad, we were in our garage. It was me and my dad and my sister. And my sister's two years older than me. And I was like 11 or 12 years old. And he introduced me to push-ups and sit-ups. That's it. And he was basically like, hey, how many can you do? And my sister and I, you know, of course, I'm competitive naturally. So I wanted to beat her. And then he basically told me, like, dude, do you know that if you just do some push-ups a little bit every day, like, you'll be able to do more next week? And it was something that clicked in my little head at that time. I immediately got the hook for physical fitness. My body started changing. I started, I was a basketball and baseball player growing up. But immediately I started separating myself. I was never a great athlete, but I was better than the average just from the physical fitness stuff. Yeah. So then I just started applying it to kind of everything right? Um, just academics and then police work. And then once I started getting involved in triathlons, which I'll share a story about that as well. Um, but that's where it started. And then, so I'm going through school, PhD, stress management and resiliency. Now learning the terminology behind these things and being like, oh, this is what the thing that yeah. my dad taught me, you know, and I don't even know if he knew what he was doing right. at the time. This was just something that he kind of honed in on. But the biggest thing, the biggest earth-shattering thing for me was this concept of a paradigm where, and for those listening, if you don't know, a paradigm is a set of habits and behaviors that's totally unique to you. And it's created over time. It's created through your whole entire life. And you sitting wherever you are right now listening to this, you have a certain paradigm that dictates exactly the, the amount of money you make, the job you have, your relationships, your physical fitness level, all that stuff. And then I really started to dive into the world of like Earl Nightingale and Bob Proctor and all these guys who talk about these things. And then they're more philosophical and I really started kind of pairing up the science with it. But this thing where people try to start out in these new habits, I don't know if you listened to one of my episodes. I've listened to them all. So yeah. Okay. So the science of self-development, it's the podcast that I have. Um, what the research tells us with habits is it's an average of 66 days that it takes somebody for create and maintain a new habit. That's kind of a long time. But if you actually look at the research, it's actually this, it's a span between 18 and 254 days, yeah. which is misleading for people. Because if you go into this thinking like, oh, I'm going to do this new habit, I'll stick with it for two months, you might not. You might be the person where it takes 200 days, right? So then I really started kind of learning about that. And there's this concept that, or it's a thing that happens to everybody. And everybody can relate to this. When you start out on a new habit, at some point, it might be two weeks in, three weeks in, a month, you're going to get this pulling sensation to go back to your old ways. And you know what that is? Your paradigm. Mm -hmm. Now you can put a name to it. Once I started putting all these little pieces of the puzzle together, um, creating new habits and doing new things just became so easy. 
because I could now put a name to, oh, okay, well, now I'm a month into this thing and it's kind of like, I want to go back to my old ways. Oh, that's just the paradigm. I just need to stick this out for a little bit longer and I'll get through it. Yeah. I, you know, I listened to that episode and, and I'm, I wasn't familiar with the word paradigm to be honest. I mean, I've, I've heard of like, you know, a shift in paradigm, things like that, but, uh, I, I, as far as terminology, I, I just had this conversation yesterday with somebody and it was like, I compared it to a needle being in, in, in a record, right? Mm-hmm. After it's just used, it falls into there. And then kind of like you said, we have this operating system. And when we try and change things, uh, I don't know if you read Dopamine Nation by Dr. Anna Lemke. It's fantastic, but it's, it's that acceptance uh, of, hey, this is going to be uncomfortable. I'm going to get to that point where my paradigm is, is kicking in and, and it's going to want to bring me back there. And, and that's okay, right? Accepting that, being okay with sitting through that because, you know, unfortunately, that's, uh, that's where the change is, right? That's where the... yeah. That's the rub. And the big thing, you so you need three things, right? And the we we kind of already talked about two of them, right? You need the time. You you have to just go into something knowing that it's going to take time. It's not going to happen overnight. And here's actually like this is what I get excited about. You can tell I'm talking about this now. But <laughs> um the the fascinating thing to me is, and here we are, what's we're like three weeks into January, right? Yep. What's the what's the main thing that everybody always wants to do at the beginning of the year? We'll lose weight, right? Yeah. And most of the time, when somebody sets out on a new habit, they intuitively know what they need to do, yeah. right? And I use the example of losing weight because most people can relate to that. How do you lose weight? Well, you, you eat a little bit less food and you exercise a little more, or you keep eating the same amount of food and exercise a lot more. Right. It's one of those two things. It's math, right. So what do people do? They start out on this journey, they do that thing, and they lose weight. They have success in the thing. So they're doing the new habit, they're having success but most people still, that's not enough. They will still go back to the old ways. And what they're missing is that desire. You have to have a strong desire to get through that 66 days or 180 days, whatever it is. Uh, that's what's fascinating to me. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was, uh, one of our ambassadors, guy named Casey was doing a 24 hour race, uh, running race last weekend. So it's cold. Right. And he's like six or eight hours into it. And I stopped by and I visit him and it was in a killing pond. And I've, I've, I haven't done a 24 hour, but I've done some longer distance things. And we were talking about the, the highs and lows. And I'm sure you can, you can speak of it in, in an Ironman triathlon. There's parts where you feel I can't, I can't go any further. Uh, and then within not a very long period of time, you might feel like you're in cloud nine, right? So it's almost this thing of not taking your emotions too seriously, right? Going, uh, okay, I feel this way, but this will pass. And I have this, uh, this goal or, or, or this thing, this version of me that I really want to want to be. So I'm going to sit this one out. I was talking to somebody yesterday and I think in our society, it's become much harder to sit with that feeling of uncomfortableness because we've become, uh, so conditioned to feel good so often, and I think that the, the word that this gentleman uses, we're in need of a revolution of, of free will, right? Because we've become addicted to this, uh, this dopamine, this constant feed of it. Does that, does, it, does that resonate with you? Do you have any thoughts on that and how, kind of how it plays into to either your story or, or something you're trying to put out to the world? Yeah, it's always, I think people are always seeking comfort, but I think that's, I mean, it's called homeostasis, right? Like our bodies are always just trying sure. to like 
be at this nice level. And especially in today's day and age, you, you're going to have to force yourself at some point, if you want to start down this road of self-development, you're going to have to force yourself to do things. You know, what's interesting. So there's actually research out there. Um, I'll tell you the answer to it. But when I give presentations, I usually quiz uh, the audience. Uh, the mechanism to force yourself to do things that you don't like to do is a natural, like, it's not a muscle, but it's a, you can think of it like a muscle in your brain. You have yeah. to train that thing. Yeah. And and if it will deteriorate. And if you don't do things that are uncomfortable, it gets a lot harder to do things that are uncomfortable. But the more you do it, the better you get at it. Um, the number one way you can train that mechanism is by not hitting the snooze button in the morning. Mm, yeah. If you are a snooze button person. Right. People that hit the snooze button in the morning, try it. Tomorrow morning, don't hit the snooze button and watch. And I think it's because you don't have all your mental faculties in the morning and it's just so easy yeah. to just hit that thing, even if it's two, three, four minutes. But I'm telling you, and the research shows, that is a great way to train that mechanism. When the alarm goes off, I get out of bed. When the alarm goes off, I get out of bed. And you just do it over and over. I want to go back to the Ironman stuff real quick because what happened with my Ironman kind of journey, I've only done one full Ironman, but... I got involved in triathlons because I was always an athlete yeah. growing up. And then once I became involved in police work, I wasn't playing sports anymore. And I kind of lost. Like, I really enjoyed the competitiveness of sports. Yeah. I didn't have anything. This was before I got involved in jujitsu. And I was a good enough athlete to where I could just go out and do a Whatever. sprint triathlon, an Olympic distance one. So I did a few of those. And then I did, I got cocky. And I signed up for a half Ironman. And this was in Maryland. It's called Eagle Man. I don't know if you're familiar yeah. with it or not. It's notoriously very hot. And I didn't know what I was doing. And I barely finished that race. And that's like a gross understatement. It was <laughs> right. it was uh, just heat exhaustion, severe dehydration. Yeah. I basically walked the entire half marathon portion of that. And my wife at the time, well, she's still my wife, but we were, <laughs> we were married then. Uh, she was very concerned for my well-being. Yeah. So I crossed the finish line. I made it. I did the thing. And the first thing I thought was, I'm never doing that ever again. That was really stupid. Uh, I allowed that emotion to kind of take over. When really looking back, I should have thought to myself, well, what can we learn from this? Yeah. You're a good athlete. Like, why did you fail so miserably at this? And I finished, but in my head, it was still a failure. So a few days goes by, and I signed up for the full Ironman within less than a year because I was like, no, no, no. I'm going to go back to that same course and do it twice. Yeah. Uh, and I went and did it, and I felt great the entire time. I hired a coach. We, we talked about this before the show started. Uh, it was that at that time I stopped asking myself, like, how am I going to do this? Instead, I asked, who can help me do this? I don't need to figure this out all on my own. I don't know how to train for an Ironman. That's pretty obvious. Uh, so I got a hold of one of my buddies who, you know, that's kind of his specialty. He trained me in it and I had a great time. It wasn't the fastest time in the world. I think I did it in 13 and a half, 14 hours, maybe something like that. Um, well, it, yeah. it almost goes back to, to the lesson your dad taught you, right? Like if I just do these, a couple more push-ups, like, you know, and over time it, it grows and uh, you build the process. And I think that's a really important thing because a lot of times, uh, right about now, there's a lot of people with their, with their New Year's resolutions and they're failing at this point. Uh, James Clear, there's, there's all kinds of people say it's, it's, it's not even a lack of uh, will. 
or motivation. It's just you didn't. The processes weren't in place. I mean, you were, I'm sure, extremely motivated for that half mar- that half triathlon or a half Ironman triathlon, but uh, but the process wasn't in place leading up to that. What has been your experience of of having these achievements, but also at the same time as a police officer? Uh, is it something that you've been able to incorporate? into your, your fellow police officers? Has there been like, yeah, like Gene's another species. He's going to do what he's going to do. And I'm only asking that because I know the community. Uh, we can eat our own at times. Sure. Uh, what, what has it been to, to have this career and then also this pretty amazing side hustle that seems to be really gaining traction? Yeah, I don't force myself or my methodologies on anybody. And I use a quote uh, from Earl Nightingale. If you haven't heard of Earl Nightingale, he's one of the godfathers of self-development back in the 40s and 50s. But something Earl would always say is, uh, before any of his speeches or sermons or anything, he would say, I'm not here to tell you how to live your life. That's none of my business. It's nobody else's business. That's your business. All I'm here to do is share with you decades upon decades of research, both scientific and philosophical, and you can do whatever you want with that information. And that's kind of how I do things. I don't put myself out. If I allow people to obviously come to me and ask me questions and we can talk about that kind of stuff, but I never force my ways on people anymore. There's a clear distinction there. I used to. I used to get upset with people and be like, why are you not crushing the world? What is your problem? Like, why are you not doing this? And guess what? That never worked. What was the crossroads uh, where where that was like, all of a sudden you're like, Hey, this is, I'm, I'm pissing in the wind here. Uh, they're going to, they have to decide they're going to make a change. That's not my purpose here on life. Somebody has to be willing to do it. Um, was there one specific incident or was it, was it just, uh, over a period of time, you know, running the same experiment over and over? I think it was just enough people telling me to shut the hell up. (laughs) Sometimes, sometimes that's what we need, right? Yeah. Kind of like, dude, just shut up. (laughs) Right, Right. Right. But, uh, once I stopped doing that, and that's kind of why I started Read Solutions, this coaching and training company. Um, you're going to have to seek me out. I put information out there, but I am not begging anybody right. to sign up for my trainings. Uh, we had a conversation right before this started. I am looking to sign a deal with the state of Virginia to go start working with them, which is great. But this is not like a beg, borrow, and steal thing. Uh, they heard about me through some other people. They came to me um, and... You know, I have a certain set of things that I want to, that was also something I learned about the whole, the business side of things. I am very specific in what I'm good at. Here's what I'm good at. Talking about emotional intelligence as it applies to leadership, resilience and stress management and self-development. Mm. Anything outside of there, that's not my thing. Yeah. I'm not, and I, I'm not going to be desperate. I'm not going to have a famine mentality where, oh, I'll talk to you about anything. Nope. I know what I'm good at and this is what I'm going to talk about. But yeah, forcing things down people's throats, that's not going to work. And it will never work. It won't work in your relationship. No. That won't work with your kids. That won't work in your profession. It doesn't work. It, 100%. I mean, I, I I started COH after I quit drinking. And one of the first things, uh, you know, there was not right away. It was a good year or so. And it started as a podcast. And something you learn in that world of people trying to quit something uh, is this is a suggestion, what you do with it is on you. Uh, you know, I, I'm, 
I'm older than you, and I used to watch G.I. Joe, and at the end, they would always end it with, uh, knowing's half the battle. And I'm like, what the freak is that? <laughs> and then you get older, you're like, absolutely. And I think that's one of, someone asked me, what is the hardest thing, or one of the, what are one of the biggest lessons you've learned in habit formation? And I said, you've, you've read a lot of books. You've, you've, you know, I think we're at like 150 interviews talking about habits, and I said, well, there's a ton of knowledge out there. Like, people have gone through this. Just like you needed a coach who, who knew what they were doing about Ironman triathlons. People have experienced and done things. You know, we're not that unique. Uh, the hardest part, though, is to, you know, you, you may know it, but how do you implement it into your life? And uh, I mean, you know, uh, that, that, that goes for everybody, right? There's no yeah. one... Uh, what point in your life did you say, I know this is what my strength is, so much so that I'm confident to, to put this out to the world, to create something out of nothing, really, uh, and, and, and see where this thing goes? Yeah, I can't give you the exact time, but I had somebody work me through this kind of little thought experiment, and I'll do it with you today. You don't have to actually do it out loud, but the thought experiment was... Uh, JT, let's say this is the last time you and I speak for the next year. And mm-hmm. I reject that because we're going to, we are friends, we'll be friends after sure. this. But let's just say hypothetically, this is the last time we speak. Now a year goes by and I see you at one of your speaking yeah. um, events, right? And you come up to me and you go, dude, I just had the most incredible year of my entire life. Like you wouldn't imagine. The question is, well, what does that look like for you? Mm. What is that? And And what... The next step in this is write it down. You have to get like, and when I say write it down, I mean take two, three, four hours, if not more, and get super granular on what you want exactly your life to be. Because what I have found, and I used to do this too, and I think I just got lucky. I think I got got away with it. But I think people, a lot of people suffer from, they just wake up in the morning they have a general idea of what they want to do, but they're not really making decisions specific to this path. And what happens is really successful people and unsuccessful people arguably make the same amount of decisions every day. It's just where are those decisions taking you? So what this exercise does, you write it down. My wife and I did this. My wife and I sat down independently. I wrote down, mine's about five pages long. Yeah. And it goes in very specific detail. Uh, some examples are when I wake up in the morning, um, I am in impeccable physical condition, free from disease, and I am proud of everything I have accomplished. And then it goes on to how much money I have in the bank, what my job is, how my relationship is with my children, and you get really into the emotions of it. And I know this sounds like some woo-woo stuff. No, this show's all woo-woo. <laughs> this show gets real woo-woo, so you go, 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 go with it. So my wife and I both did that separately. We then came together. And then we shared that. Luckily, our visions were very much aligned, yeah. so we're fortunate on that. But then what that forces you to do is any decision you make from, from that day on, once you have that thing nailed down, you just sit, if somebody approaches you for a business opportunity or somebody approaches you at a party and they want to give you a drink, all you have to do is ask yourself, how does this align with my vision? And if the answer is it doesn't, yeah. well, then you know what the right answer is. It, well, right. It's it's living intentionally, and and uh, it's something I haven't hadn't done for for a good portion of, of my life. And I and I, it's 
you know, we, you know, we talk about the dichotomy of control on here and understanding the things you can, can control and things you can't, but then having those, that, that North star to understand where you're going uh, and then being constantly reminded about that because it's, it's easy to, to put that, you know, especially if you don't write it down, you know, if it's just in your head, there's a good chance that thing is going to be gone. Yeah, it's going to waver all over the place. And, and I think I'm telling you, the exercise of writing it down is it's done that way for a reason because you think you know what you want. But if I really sit down and say like, no, write it down, like write this down, it really forces you to think. And when I was asked to do this, especially for the business side of things, yeah. I had to get really granular into, well, how many days a month are you willing to go to a speaking event? How many days, like right now I'm telling you, I don't do more than two podcasts in a week. I will not be away from my family more than three times in the month. I know those numbers. So when opportunities come, like I'm doing your podcast today, I'm doing Dr. Travis Yates' podcast and on Ro the Rogan. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> number three. He hasn't reached out to me yet, yeah. but I might deviate from my vision on that one. <laughs> yeah. But I know those are my numbers. Yeah. And it makes it so easy uh, to where I could just reschedule it with somebody like, oh, I don't have any time this month. I've been learning that the, the, the saying no thing has always been kind of difficult. You know, I, I grew up as a people pleaser and, and, uh, the, I've learned a lot. Hey, I, I had a phone call with a friend of mine, Jeff Harris, uh, yesterday and he's like that. He is a, I mean, the man, we joke around, uh, that he's, he can be a bit of a robot, but that's, that's the way he is. And the, 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 the more successful people I'm, uh, I'm around, the more I see that as, as a common trait, right? They have, uh, they have boundaries of what they're going to do and what they're not going to do. And they stick to them. And it's, again, it comes back to this operating system. I literally had a conversation with a guy, Nick, he runs Team Foster, a great nonprofit out of, out of Philly. And I said, man, I've had some, some opportunities presented to, to COH and, and I'm still learning to not jump at the next shiny thing. And, and uh, you need to have those guiding principles. You need to understand where you want to go uh, so you don't do that, right? It's an operating system. Otherwise, you're just going to end up spinning your wheels. This isn't even a question. This is just me uh, on a soapbox. But uh, let's get back to Gene's, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Reed Solutions and what was the catalyst to pull the trigger on this thing? Because you told me beforehand and it got me, I mean, I literally, I had chills. Uh, so just just tell us that story. Yeah. So I, well, actually, uh, Kevin Duell was the one who, Kevin. yeah, shout, shout out, to, out Kevin. to Kevin. Yeah. Kevin told me about the speaking event that you were going to have. And I think I had, so we put it out to our department, right? So we had three or four guys there. And actually some other guys that I do jujitsu with, they came. I think there was a group of six or seven yeah, of us yeah, there. You guys, you guys came in strong, yeah. Yeah. And um, so we're there for the whole event. And again, I, for your first event, I was impressed because I've never done anything like that. That's not to say that I won't explore that one day. But the speaking lineup, the different topics you had covered, and then you had your big keynote speaker, Nick Lavery. I mean, you had all the pieces of the puzzle there. I still can't believe how big of a human he is. He's, a, He's massive. I didn't know who he was before. And then I stood up during a break at one point in time, and there he was in the back of the room. I was like, oh, well, that, obviously that's him. That's the guy. Yeah, that's that's right him. There, right. So Nick Lavery is up there talking on stage, just an incredible dynamic speaker, right? And and I was totally drawn into, he obviously has that presentation totally dialed down, but he is putting it on you. Kind of what I talked about, like he's not forcing any information on anybody. Yeah, He's just saying like, hey, here, 
here's what you could be capable of. And are you going to do it? And that's all I needed to hear. I was like, I had an immediate thought in my head, like he's talking to me. I think he's making eye contact with me yeah, right now. Right, right, right. This is what he's talking about. And that's all I needed. And then I formed my LLC very shortly after that, got the paperwork done, started putting the business plan together and boom, got it done. Beautiful. You know, you know, before he went on, <clears throat> um, there, there's the green room there and I'm not in the green room, but I can see in there. And we talk about his stage presence and how great it is. And I could, I could, I could see him practicing. And if you, if you listen to this, Nick, uh, I hope I'm not pulling the curtains back, but, but he seemed, I don't know if, I don't know if ner- maybe a, a combination of nerves and focus as if not, not that it would be his first time, but he was taking uh, this just as serious as if he was at Madison Square Garden. You know what I mean? And and that to me meant a lot. To, well, one personally, right? And then two, it was an example of a, of a professional. And I and I and I reached out to him afterwards. I said, Nick, the, the talk was amazing. Everyone like has reached out to me and said and said so. I said, but personally, this is the, and and it, you know, I forget he said something profound and deep and of course he did yeah yeah he doesn't know anything else but uh that was one of my biggest takeaways from from seeing his preparation what he was doing leading up to it even though i'm sure it's almost like pulling a string on his back he's done it enough times but i took i took a lot uh, away from just seeing seeing that that level of of professionalism yeah. Before you said the word professional, that's exactly what I was thinking. And it kind of goes back to a lot of what we were talking about when it comes down to self-development. And you asked me, like, how does this incorporate into the law enforcement world and stuff like that? I just think if you're truly going to be a professional, there's no other option than to self-develop. There's no other option to figure yourself out, figure out what your vision is, and constantly be on this road to self-development, building these new habits, understanding what paradigms are, all that I think and Nick's uh, fantastic example of that i don't know how many people were in attendance but you're right that presentation was the same presentation he's going to get for an audience of two or ten thousand yeah we weren't it's not a first of all it's not a huge venue there weren't that many people there you know you're very kind in in what you said as far as the speakers but one of the biggest takeaways from that is uh maybe less speakers next time and I was very appreciative of you guys who came in and, and stayed the entire time. I was like, God, man, that's, uh, it meant a lot. But uh, you, you mentioned the word emotional intelligence. Can you define that or at least what it means to you? Uh, because I think I've been hearing it more and more recently. And, and I think that there's, there's uh, I think we're just kind of like, it's the tip of the iceberg on, on, a, on a lot of things when it comes into, into the, you could say self-development, but it, it could just be, I mean, just getting by in life, like living with a little bit of purpose and, and not being dragged by every new emotion that's coming your way. So uh, I'll let you kind of take the floor on what it means yeah, to you. Absolutely. I came across this concept of emotional intelligence a few years ago, but again, just like, you know, I kind of got introduced to it. Then I really started getting down emotional intelligence for me, provides a framework for your life. And that's why I have, and that's why I wrote a book about it. I was so invested in it. I was like, this is the thing. This is, I related to it so much. So my book, and it's, my book is more towards police just because that was my little niche group I really want to do my first book for. 
It's called police leadership redefine the EQ advantage. But emotional intelligence is broken down into four different categories. It's um, really the culmination is relationship management. That's like the end goal, right? That's what you're striving to do. And, and anybody in a leadership position or even in your personal relationships, your value is really like how well can you manage relationships? Yeah. How well do you get along with your wife? How long do you get along with your husband? If you're a leader, uh, the people that are under your span of control, like that will tell a lot about how well you're doing. Yeah. And that all starts with self-awareness. That's the first pillar to emotional intelligence. Then it's self-management, so managing your emotions. And the final thing is uh, social awareness. And then all those together build up relationship management. But the first pillar, self-awareness, I could teach a course, an entire three-day course just on that. And that's really the big ticket item with emotional intelligence is taking a second. And whenever something happens, just saying to yourself, uh, what is this emotion I'm feeling? Yeah. Why am I feeling this? That's weird. And then the next thing in self-management, listen, there's no emotions are wrong, right? If you feel an emotion, it's fine. It's, yeah. it's just, it is what it is. The thing that could be wrong is how you respond to that. So if you're angry about something, that's okay. There's a reason you feel angry. Nothing wrong with that. But it may not be appropriate to yell and scream because of that anger. Uh, and that's a very important thing that a lot of people have trouble harnessing that. And all listen, all these things happen in, in a split second. Yeah, in the real time. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to tell you a funny story. Okay. And this is the, the this is how you apply. This is emotional intelligence. I have two kids, a four year old and a two year old. Uh, my daughter's name is Layla, and my son's name is Luke. A year ago, Layla's three years old. My wife is making dinner in the kitchen. So it's me, Layla and Luke watching Paw Patrol. Cause at the time Paw Patrol was very big in our family. I don't know if that was in your family or not, but okay. So it's time for dinner. Yeah. Abby calls over. Hey guys, it's ready for dinner. Okay. I get the remote. I outstretch my arm to depress the button to turn the TV off. My son starts walking towards the kitchen. My daughter gets up off the couch, looks at me and says, drop it fucker. <laughs> As a three-year-old. This is emotional intelligence. Yeah. First, I had to be self-aware. I first thought to myself, how did she, well, where, where, where did she, she where could she have possibly learned that? I don't say that. I really don't use that word. I use the F word, but right. not really in that context. I have to then be aware that, did my wife hear that? Am I the only one who heard that? It's Paw Patrol. Then, it's Paw Patrol. Yeah. Next thing is self-management. I want to laugh so hard. I want to laugh. I want to laugh. But I know as a parent, I'm like, I've heard stories of this. You can't laugh. That's right. Yeah. Because if you laugh, it's just going to ruin the whole thing. And then I also have to manage how I'm going to respond to the situation, right? Then there's social awareness. I have my son, my little 18-month-old. He has frozen in, in, in time because he doesn't really understand what just happened, but he knows Something's something happened. has happened. Yeah. And now everybody's watching how dad is going to respond to this situation, uh -oh. which brings us to relationship management. How I respond to the situation is forever going to change my relationship with my daughter, my son, and my wife. So I look at my daughter and I say, get your ass in your seat. Right. Probably not the best thing to say at that time, yeah. but all of that is emotional intelligence. It applies to everything. But that little scenario that I just laid out, you can apply that. That's why I love emotional intelligence so much. We, we, we talk about uh, stoicism on here a lot. And, you know, one of the things they, they teach is it, it's not really what happens to you, but it's your reaction to it. And that really kind of falls in, in line. Uh, this is... This isn't to one up you, but I, this, this happened. You met my son upstairs a couple minutes ago. 
this was years ago, my oldest uh, graduated from, from college in Virginia and we were down there and we're in the college, the, the, like the, the bookstore, the clothing store, we're trying different things on. My son, who was young at the time, he holds like a hat up or shirt or something. He says, hey, try this on. I said, nah, I'm good. I'm good. He goes, come on, don't be a pussy. Put it on. <laughs> and, and I just, we're in, we're in a store full of people, right? He says, he says it loud. And we, we laugh about this all the time. And yeah. it, was, it was the same thing for like a split second. We, in the law enforcement world, they use the word like OODA loop, right? Like this was my OODA Like I didn't know what just happened. Like my whole universe just stopped. I'm like, what, what did you just say? He had no idea what he was saying, right? But that, I mean, the tension, like he knew I just said something I'm not supposed to say. Uh, and I think I said, you don't say that. Like that's, the, and then I didn't have to say much more because he knew. Sure. And then I walked away in hysterically laughed for like the, you know, the, you know next 15 minutes or so. Uh, but it's still, it's still something. I think a lot of parents probably have a very similar, and you know, it's funny, like when that happened to me, and all those things that I talked about probably happened over a course of 1.2 seconds. Yeah. The, oh, all yeah, 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 these yeah. things are happening very, very, very quickly. But uh, uh, for those wondering, it's my wife who says that to our dog sometimes. <laughs> uh, if the dog That's is right. doing something wrong. I don't say that. But um, <laughs> Allegedly. Allegedly, yes. But I, th- th- that can be applied to so many different situations. I actually tell another story, not to keep telling stories, but... Um, That's what we're doing here. Yeah. When I was a newly promoted sergeant, yeah. two months on the road, I vividly remember this. I it was it was pissing rain out one day, and at the time I had about eight or nine guys uh, working in my area. One of the guys gets into a pursuit. This was the first pursuit that I would be more or less in control of, and I was terrified to be totally honest with you. Yeah. I was like, oh my god, this is when things go bad. I've seen people get disciplined, like sergeants not responding enough on the radio and, and all these kind of things. So I was very kind of... You're in the spotlight. This, this totally on the spotlight. Everybody's listening on the radio, right? They know this thing's going on. And this is a younger officer. It's pouring rain out. It was a stolen motor vehicle, and they believed it to be operated by juveniles. So me being the new sergeant, I'm like, all right, I'm going to let him go for a little bit. Yeah, Things sound pretty good on the radio. He sounds calm. Well, then things did not sound calm, and things got super chaotic. And I'm like... Okay. So I get on the radio very, I, and I like took a deep breath. I'm like, I'm going to sound like a man on the radio. I yeah. don't want to sound. So I just said, I uh, had that unit, unit terminate the pursuit. Radio silence, nothing. So like three or four seconds goes by. I get back on the radio. And I say, can you just confirm that that unit is going to terminate the pursuit, please? Next transmission is total chaos on the radio. Oh, they just crashed at this location, oh. blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh. <gasps> This yeah. is it. I'm going to get fired. Uh, emotional intelligence. Yeah. I had to be aware. I had my lieutenant immediately call me on the phone. I didn't answer it because I just was not even, I, I got to go drive to this scene now. I got to see what's going on. So it's a PI accident, which in police terms, personal injury. So somebody's hurt. I'm yeah. like, gee, are you fucking kidding? Yeah. So I get there. And this is before I actually knew about emotional intelligence or like how to really process this. But I had to manage my emotion there was a crowd of officers there now watching the new sergeant walk up to the scene. This is going to forever change. I could react one way or the other. This is going to forever change how they see me. I walk up to his passenger side window. He shook up. I'm like, hey, man, are you okay? Yeah. And he's like, sir, I'm so sorry. I'm like, stop, stop, stop. Yeah, it's yeah. fine. Are you okay? Are you okay? And that was it. 
and my relationship with him was phenomenal after yeah. that. We never, you know, he he was very honest after. He's like, dude, I didn't hear it. And I'm like, you know what? You probably didn't hear it. It's raining out. This is one of your first pursuits. Like, you know, there's a lot of things going on. I, I get it. And we talked about it. We did a counseling thing, but emotional intelligence. Yeah. And, and it, it, I think it's super important because of the human experience. You know, you talk about high stress situations. One of the things that first things to go is our, you know, we have auditory exclusion. Right? Absolutely. You, you don't hear things. Uh, emotional intelligence, and maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but in the world of law enforcement, have you gotten traction in talking to leadership about this? Because there are so many things with that fall under that, that benefit a department. I mean, if you just start off with like asking that guy, are you okay? Because you care about the people that work for you. Then there's the monetary side of things where you go, when I have officers that are emotional and you have a higher level of emotional intelligence, uh, we have less lawsuits, right? That I mean, like at the end of the day, the county pays less, the state, the, the federal government pays less because we have people that are uh, able to control, you know, their emotions at, during that time. So. Is that a conversation you've had the opportunity to have with leadership within the law enforcement world? Yeah, yeah I have. Ab- uh, absolutely. Actually, so um, so I've been writing articles for Police One for a little bit now. They actually reached out to me. Uh, another thing, I didn't ask for this. They reached out to me to do a 10-part video series for them on leadership. Yeah. Well, I'm telling you right now, five of those videos are going to be on emotional intelligence. Yeah. Here's the problem with, I want to change the word emotional intelligence. Let's I want to figure out another way to say it because the pushback that I get is the word emotional. When you start talking about emotions with first responders and cops, it's an immediate, what kind of woo woo bullshit are we talking about? And really it's not, it's yes, you have to be aware of your emotions, but man, does this put you in a advantageous position for everything that you just said? You get people who are more squared away. People can make better decisions. Well, let's start talking about money. You know what I mean? Less lawsuits, less complaints, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and to be totally honest, you know, I'm a little bit, technically I'm a millennial, but trying to talk about emotions with senior leadership, um, is tough sometimes. You know what I mean? It's tough. It it, it drives me crazy, right? Because it's, it's this idea of sucking it up. (laughs) There's a place for it and it's in the heat of the moment, right? Uh, there's times to push emotions away, to compartmentalize things, to just whatever the mission is to keep it moving forward. Uh, but that has a shelf life, right? At some point, uh, you have to start dealing with some of these things. You know, uh, the fire department, I honestly think, and, and you correct me if I'm wrong, but and I'm not talking about local here. I've been fortunate enough to talk to people from all over the country. They've been better. They've been better. Like for whatever reason, maybe because they're they're not gun toters, they, they don't have to feel this this machismo as much. Or it's just because they're, you know, they're also doing the paramedic thing. They're dealing with just so much death. And and uh some of the departments I, I spoke to, they put a color to it, right? So they say, Hey, where are you at today? And they go, Oh, I'm at uh I'm at an orange, which, you know, I there's out of the four colors, that's the third in before red. And the, and the department, the, the leadership says, okay, this is somebody who's on the verge of really needing some help. Let's let, and we have a mitigation plan. We have something, and it's it's a non punitive one. So they they do a good job with that. But I think 
especially some of the older uh, communities, they, uh, not communities, some of the old leadership that still uh, follows that old style of, hey, like, let's just suck it up. It's not serving them. It's not serving their department. It's not serving their uh, their budget. So I yeah I, I I just foresee this really getting traction moving forward. And then as far as the individuals go, the officers, when you can make that connection to hey, look at your lifestyle now and what are you doing to cope with the everyday stresses of your job. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. You have to, that's the other thing. Like this whole uh, topic of self-development, if you are a first responder, you are accumulating more stress than the average person. Your cortisol levels are all out of whack. Listen, if you don't take very proactive measures to mitigate that, you're done after about seven years, Yeah, you're going to be, Let's say you start when you're 21. After seven years, you're 28. You might as well be 50. Unless yeah. you take it very seriously and you take some mitigating things. And it's not easy. It, it's not. But you don't have to figure it all out yourself. You know what I mean? You get along with, you make partnerships with people and you build networks and you, and you figure these things out. But back to like the more senior leadership stuff. Uh, that's why it's really though incumbent upon like part of self-development is trying to get yourself into those upper ranks yeah. because yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. the next generation, like, listen, ain't nobody going to do it for you. So if you think that it's things need to be a certain way, well then you should put yourself in a position to change those things. And I just talked about this on my last episode, this concept of like the spotlight effect, the spotlight effect is where you are the center of your own universe. The problem with the spotlight effect is when you think you're the center of everybody else's universe. So let's say you're you're a patrol officer and you're experiencing this problem. Like let's say you're just really getting run down and you're and you're the, the it's thin staffing every night and, and nobody's doing well and you're all kind of talking about it amongst each other and you think it's just so obvious of a problem, but nobody else knows about it. Yeah. Unless you actually verbalize it to somebody else to your supervision and they carry that message. Nobody knows about it. It's just like when you're in a relationship, right? If my wife is doing something that I really don't like and I don't tell any, I don't tell her that and then I just stew about it and I think about it, I'll just get annoyed. That's on me. She, How, how could she possibly know what I'm thinking? It, it doesn't work that yeah. way. That's the spotlight effect. Yeah, yeah. That's actually why I brought that word up, uh, the spotlight, when you talked about being the sergeant and the, in the pursuit, right? Because now you're on the radio. Uh, and in, in, the, in the podcast you're talking about, you you talk about public speaking, right? Fumbling over your words and yours is a recording. And you say, well, if I fumble over mine, I'm going to hit stop and I can just redo this. But the people on stage, when you're, when you're speaking and you fumble your words, you think like, you know, the, not the world's ending, but everyone is going to notice this thing. And, and at the end of the day, you're, you're not that important. Like people don't really care that much. Yeah. And even if they do, it's for a split second and it's probably just to clown you. And then it's, then you're just going to move on. So I always joke around. I'm like, well, at least I gave, you know, I brought some joy to the world in my, my screw ups or whatever, whatever they are. It's easy to say that, but in the moment when you're feeling it, it's like, you can't just say, I'm not going to feel this, right? It doesn't work. Yep. 
What do you do when you've been in those moments where like, it just feels like this, you know, I've got, it's, let's, let's call it what it is. It's anxiety. It's, uh, you've put yourself out there in it with, with read solutions. You're going to be speaking in front of people. What goes through your mind when you've got those feelings of, of, of butterflies, pressure, anxiety, all those things. Here's what I do. Uh, number one, I prepare as much as I possibly yeah. can to mitigate any possible issues, right? So when I, I ha, I'm giving a presentation next Wednesday, it's a, it's a two hour presentation that I'm giving. I have given that presentation like 40 times now in my bedroom. Yeah. You know what I mean? I just keep doing it over and over and over again. So where even if something, you have to have some like mental agility, right? Where something happens, you didn't really think it was going to happen. I'm good, man. I, I can roll through it. But also in that same thing, that's why it's important to do really difficult things. So let's just take jujitsu, for example. If you partake in jujitsu and you do that in the morning, arguably that's going to be the most challenging thing you do for the entire day. So everything else just pales in comparison to that. There's this new fad going on with like the cold plunges, right? Getting into an ice bath and stuff. Same concept. Um, You can do that with anything. Like if you start your mornings off, I just started another uh, marathon running program. If you start your morning off with a seven, eight, nine mile run, Arguably, the rest of the day is going to be pretty chill. So, but also just putting a name to things, right? That works really well for me. When I can put a name to a paradigm, right? I know what that is. Oh, that's that pulling sensation. Oh, that's a thing. Okay. Um, the spotlight effect, I know. because it, And also, it will happen. I will mess up my words every time I give a presentation. It doesn't matter how many times I give yeah. it. In that episode, when I talked about it, I think I messed my words up seven, eight, nine times. Right, yeah, just and, kind and, of fumbled over. And I never. That's yeah, what I mean. Like yeah. I remember it, but uh, yeah. I know. Oh, that's that thing. That's the spotlight effect. You just got to keep on going. That's why I just stopped editing my own podcast. Mm. It's 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 um it's brutal, right? Like you can you can. I found myself trying to like punch other stuff in, like you know where, and then I'm like, what am I doing? I did that. So I used to, before the science of self development podcast. I had a podcast called The Handbook. Uh-huh. I had about 12, 15 episodes, something like that. That was before I started my PhD. Once I started my PhD, we had our second kid. Something had to yeah, go, yeah. right? So I gave that up. But I did my own editing for that, and I was neurotic. I was totally neurotic with every little, I don't even know. Um, Yeah, really. Every, Everything. Yeah, yeah. I was trying to like, oh, well, I'll edit that out and edit this out. And it just got, I got better with it and just kind of said, it is what it is. It is what it is. Because then I started listening to really high level podcasts and they're all doing it and it's fine because it's, it's human it's human that's right. exactly what i was just going to say like, it's fine yeah. it would actually probably be weird if you listen to a podcast and there was no ums and ahs and it was just very short clips and all this kind of stuff you'd be like oh, that's weird yeah yeah it's just being authentic and being okay with that right all right i'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna press you on you've obviously had amazing you know have amazing habits have great process processes in place what what's your achilles heel man what's been the thing maybe a, a habit that that has taken some time to get over something you weren't happy with uh and and then how did you kind of overcome that mm, relationship management for sure yeah just uh i mean my wife and i have a great relationship um uh, but that's not by accident yeah right. that's something that really takes a lot of time and i like to do so many things and my mind's just nonstop. Um, you know, it's funny. I didn't start drinking coffee until like a couple years ago. And then I got introduced to coffee and I was like, 
what have I been missing? Yeah, oh my God, been? this is like cocaine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't know what cocaine is, but um, so re- honestly, uh, not being selfish, I ha- I have had a tendency over the years to be selfish. I really have, and it takes a lot for me to sit down at the dinner table and have dinner with the family because in my mind I'm thinking. I had this presentation. I had this phone call. Shoot, I got this meeting with Virginia coming up tomorrow. I really want to prep for that. I got these police one videos I need to do. And really just kind of like taking a step back and being like, no, this is really important like for Layla and Luke and Abby for me to be here and just relax. And listen, that's still something that I struggle with. Yeah, yeah. And I do it. I do it because it's important. This new, this is going to sound funny too. My kids, uh, I love my kids. They're great. Everybody says that about their kids. But my kids were never these like cuddly, snuggly kids. Never. Right. They're like, get away from me. Right. And I don't know where that came from because my wife and I are both very loving. Hey, one's got a mouth like a sailor, so I'm not, <laughs> I'm not surprised. <laughs> so, so recently, Layla, every day when I come home, that is their like 20 minutes they get to watch uh, whatever show they want. Uh, and she wants to cuddle with me on the couch. Like she wants to lay with me on the couch. Uh, like now I'm like, I'll never miss that. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. do that. I don't care what's going on. Right. Like that's, I'm doing that thing. Could I be doing all these other things and getting other things quote unquote accomplished? Sure. Um, but my level of selfishness is definitely has been a challenge over the years. And listen, it has served me well. It really has. I mean, it's kind of like a double-edged sword. It served me well in so many situations. Like when I was a detective, this was before I had kids. Um, you know, I was I was definitely not the best detective in our department by any means. There's so many guys who are better than me, but I was always willing to come in on every call out. Yeah. I'm always going to come in. Like you, if you send a page out, I'm coming in. Yeah. Um, and that strained my relationship with Abby. You know, what I mean, before we had kids, and I was selfish about that. But guess what? It put me in a better spot to get promoted sergeant. You know what I mean? Then I could do other things. So, um, really, that's kind of my Achilles heel. Is I do have so many things going on. But really making sure, and again, that vision exercise really made this very clear for me that my family uh, is the number one thing. And that doesn't mean that that has to be that way for everybody else. It doesn't. I'm just telling you for me, how I spend time with my family um, is really like a key part of that vision. And just real quick, with um, making a website, right? I have, we, we keep talking about, sometimes you have to ask yourself, like, stop asking yourself how to do this and who can do this for me. Yeah. So I got this offer. I had, I have a website. It's called Read Solutions LLC. And I'll be very, very open. Uh, I made it myself. I'm not really that happy with it. Mm-hmm. Um, I then had this offer come in from Police One. It's a big deal. They're arguably the biggest police magazine Massive. in the country. And they want me to do a video series. And you know what part of that's going to be? Every time an email comes out, Every time a social media post goes up, they're going to have a link on there that says, hey, book Gene Reed to come speak at your next event here. So now I'm thinking to myself, okay, I need to make sure my website is tight. Yeah. Like this needs to be like a professional thing. So that night I am up in my bedroom trying to like make the website better, but I'm not, uh, this isn't my thing. It's not what I do. I missed my snuggle time with Layla. Yeah. I missed dinner cause I was so in the zone. I was in like yeah. psycho mode. I was totally right. psycho. And then the very next day I hired somebody to do my website for me because I was like, you know what? doesn't align with my vision. I tried it and now I need to recognize this. It's all part of emotional intelligence, but recognizing my vision. Okay. This is actually what's important. You made a good point that that may not be for everyone and that's okay. Like that's, 
I'm, I'm going to screw this up, but it's, it's like wh- whatever you're investing your time in, you're not investing it somewhere else. Right. And, and you need to look at that and say, does this align with my guiding principles and, and the person I want to be? And it's very easy. I mean, I connect with that to, to get caught up, especially in creating something, uh, through your own hard work you're not doing this as part of a department, right? You're, this isn't as, as, a, as the police officer. No. Uh, this is something you're creating, and, and it's very exciting to see that gain traction. Uh, so I, I connect with that. Like, I get, I, I get what you're, you're saying. Uh, how's your sleep? Does it affect is it? You know? No, I sleep great, dude. I'm, I'm going to be totally honest with you, and, and knock on wood, I've always been a, a great sleeper, but there's some secrets to it. Um, I consistently wake up at the same time yeah. every day. And now with that being said, a lot of first responders are like, well, he doesn't work shift work yeah, right now. Right. You're right. I don't. I work Monday through Friday, nine to five. Yeah. And you got me. You know what? Okay. Right. But um, no coffee after 11 a.m. Mm-hmm. I'm very sensitive to caffeine. I think a lot of people underestimate their sensitivity to caffeine yeah. and don't realize the impact that that's having on your sleep. And then um, reading before bedtime. But now I've... Uh, I've always, oh, and honestly, dude, no alcohol. So I had, uh, I worked with some people in our department on getting a grant and we got a hundred Garmin watches for the men and women on the street, right? Garmin's phenomenal. I used to wear them during the triathlon days and stuff, but uh, sleep monitoring was big on that. Well, when that program happened, I was still drinking from time to time. I've never been a big drinker, but if I had any alcohol, messed your sleep up. I mean, I'm talking one beer within eight hours of going to bed and my sleep score was like a 30 when normally it's a 87, 88, somewhere around there. So that was a big one for me. Like, dude, alcohol, it ain't for me. Yeah. Some people can do it. And that's cool, man. Like, and I don't have a problem with alcohol, uh, but I know that it impacts my sleep and I am not good without sleep. I just have too many things going on. Yeah. I have this, you know, high powered brain thing going on. I'm trying to do so many things. But uh, no, I sleep. Uh, I sleep pretty well. That's good. That's yeah. good. So, if somebody wants to book you, right? Uh, they they've heard this podcast. They love it. They want to get in touch with you. Touch with you. How do they do it? With that said, we're gonna have the we're gonna have the links in the show notes. But if you could tell us how how do they reach you? Whether it be on social media, the website, you know, whatever. Yeah, sure. Here's what I'm gonna say. So one of the things I specialize in two things. Number one being performance coaching. This is one on one coaching with me, and it's aggressive. And you may not be a good fit for me. I'm just being honest. I, <laughs> I have like turned it. people down, and it's not because I don't like you. It's just that I have a certain methodology that I use to. Make sure that your vision is on track and then we're going to work to get to your goals. And the fact of the matter is it doesn't align with everybody. Yeah. And that's okay. Yeah. Just like we've been saying. Yeah. I may not be the person for you. With that being said, Reed Solutions, it's R-E-I-D Solutions, LLC.com. You can fill out a form on there or you can go on LinkedIn. That's really my favorite kind of yeah. messaging platform. Uh, if you just type in Gene Reed, PhD, you'll find me on there. Um, man, what a great thing LinkedIn is. It really is. The amount of... Every time I put an article out on Police One or anytime something happens, people message me all the time on there. It's just this great thing where, oh, Gene Reed, PhD, here he is, direct message, done. Um, Those are my two big things. The other thing is if you want to book me for a speaking engagement at your police department or actually I 
I just had two come in for banks. So financial entities yeah, yeah, yeah. are now reaching out to me, which is great. Um, whatever your organization is, uh, same thing. You go on the website or through uh, LinkedIn. And again, I'm telling you right now, my specialties are emotional intelligence for leaders, stress management and resilience, and uh, personal growth. If you don't want one of those three things, then yeah. I'm not your guy. Yeah, It's all good. Uh, but I really do want to stress the performance coaching. I have a couple clients right now, and it goes great but it's very intensive. So if you are looking for that, then I'm the guy for you, but uh, we'll figure that out. There's a whole process to get, right. to get vetted. So, right. Yeah. Awesome. Well, listen, is there anything else you want to make sure we cover on here? No, I really do want to stress this vision exercise. Uh, again, I'm glad you guys are all for the woo woo stuff. I love me some woo woo stuff, but sit down and write it out. Stop thinking in your head about all these things you want to do. Sit down, Write it out. If you have a significant other or a spouse, compare notes because you might have this great vision. They might have a vision that's totally different. Yeah. That's not going to work. No. It's just not. I'm just telling you now just from experience. Write it down and then start forming your actionable plans on how to get there. And don't think you need to do everything yourself. Not everything costs money, but start networking with people. Right? If you're not good, just identify what you're good at. The things you aren't good at, outsource it. Find people who are good at it. You don't need to learn how to do everything. Just ask and find people who can. And that's all. Awesome advice, man. Listen, I'm excited to see where it goes. Like you said, we're going to keep in touch. It's not going to be a year. But uh, I, don't know, I don't know, man. I foresee some big things happen for, for Reed Solutions. Thanks for coming on. Make sure you guys check out his podcast. Again, we'll have links to that in the show notes. Uh, that's it. Appreciate it. Appreciate it, man. Thanks, brother. Awesome. All right, that's a wrap. Big thanks to Gene. I, how that man has time to do anything, I'm not sure, but it means that much more uh, that he showed up here, took the time to do this. All right, we were here for a while. If you want to check out Gene's book, it's, good, it's called Police Leadership Redefined, the EQ Advantage, Transforming Law Enforcement with Emotional Intelligence. If you want to book Gene uh, for, for his, his work with self-development and coaching and training, check him out on Read Solutions. That link will also be in our show notes. That is not a law enforcement or first responder specific thing. These, these concepts, they're good across the board. That's it. Thanks for checking it out. We will see you in two weeks. Later. Later.